Hello and welcome to the sixth episode of Web Perspectives. My name is Sean, and with me today, Mike Borthwick and I discuss the most important six interview tips for new and aspiring developers. How should you prepare for your next job interview as a web developer? Maybe you have a job interview coming up, but how do you prepare? What steps should you take to stand out from the competition? How about salaries? All this and more including special insider information on what it's like as an interviewer from the inside. Get ready, buckle your keyboard wrist stands, and get ready to rock your next interview in this one-hour episode of Web Perspectives. perspective i've you know, i'm interviewing somebody but i haven't i'm new to this and i think a lot of people don't realize that when you walk into that interview room you don't know the background of the people you're interviewing that's why i think get to know them a bit better break mm-hmm. the ice get to know what their problems look like what does your day-to-day job look like and that all boils down to me at least of asking questions don't be afraid to ask questions before and after mm-hmm. like yeah, you were you actually started this off by asking, you know, um, about being on the um, interviewer side as opposed to interviewee yeah, side. Yeah, it's so different. Like you don't realize what what it involves. Like these people interviewing you, if you go in for an interview, they're nervous too. They they're worried, mm-hmm. you know. And, and as and I never I never thought mm-hmm. about this way, but as you know, I'm an employee of my company, but I represent a huge company when I do these interviews, and I f- I feel really like I feel like the pressure's on. The same way that any interviewer goes in and interviews for a company, they feel like the pre- they have pressure. I feel like I have pressure too, because if they walk away, mm-hmm. that looks like a failure on my part, at least in my early onset view. I mean, now I see it more as an opportunity, mm-hmm. but, <laughs> you know, based on this conversation, <laughs> but, but part of the, the challenge as an interviewee is to remain confident. And as an interviewer, I think the challenge is to encourage the confidence of the candidate. You want them to succeed. Remember, as you walk, if you go into an interview, the, the interview viewer wants you to succeed. And I, I always, in my mind, when I first started interviewing as a candidate, I always had this, I don't know, for some reason, I thought in my head that all the interviewers were out to get me. They wanted to trap me with these quote unquote targeted interview questions. Mm-hmm. I had that idea in my head from school, from other methods of interviewing that I had learned over the years. but. The more I started to interview, the more I realized, like, it's not about that. It's about being yourself. And I know that's really, like, just cliche. Well, it's so hard to be yourself when you don't know who yourself is. It's, that's the problem, right? Like, but, but here's, here's, here's what I think. I actually wrote a blog post. So if you're mm-hmm. interested in learning more about this, I'm talking to my viewers. And as, you, as well as yourself, Mike, I do have an article. It was actually written back in 2015. So this goes way back. But I still think, I still think that, this, that the, these tips really apply. So. I'm going to list them out and kind of explain why. And then after that, we'll let our listeners go. Um, the first one, I say, understand your career goals. So understanding personal career goals is really important. You need to know what you want in your career and where you see yourself down the line. So you'll probably get that question, even if you don't want to. And hopefully you do, because mm-hmm. if, if you're staying at that company for five years, then you should know where do you, where do you want to be in five years? And I'm, I myself didn't do the best at that. I got asked that by my boss and I, I thought like, oh my God, I never thought about that. I've been working here for over a year and I still don't really know where I want to go, which, which is my problem. I should know that. But 
I'm also really happy and I like the work I'm doing. And the progression is so is so transparent for us that mm-hmm. that like everybody has an equal con- contribution on our team. So it never really occurred to me like that there even was a possibility of of that progression. That if you're honest about the question and you know your career goals, that's one avenue that you can take. Yeah, right. If you're new in the industry and you're not sure what your career goals are because you haven't been exposed to a whole lot of things and you're not sure what your favorite part of it is or you're really conflicted because you love it all so very much and you don't know, uh, be honest about that too. That's, that's perfectly fine. That's a great answer. Um, what, what I think um, we look for when we ask that question is uh, where are they at in their career and what can we best do to help them succeed in that goal? So if they're not sure yet, um, okay, we'll let you do a little bit of everything. If you know exactly what that is and how to, and, and what you want to do in the next five years, okay, we'll try and funnel you down a pathway that'll help you get there. Yeah, it's that flexibility that, mm-hmm. that you want to look for. And I think that definitely applies as an interview interviewee. Mm-hmm. So when you apply, look at yourself and see how you will progress. What opportunities will you have to, to try different things that you may not have tried before? Maybe you don't, if you don't know your, your direction yet, then, then seek the opportunity to try different aspects of the domain work to find which part you like of it. Or maybe you won't like any of it, in which case, at least you'll have tried and then you can work towards finding that, that path if you have one at all at that point and go down that, that, uh, oh. that there. How do you, how do you do that? Like, um, I've met some people who are just so quiet and so shy and so um, reserved that they they don't want to put their hand up to do something new. They don't know who to talk to. They don't know what process right. it is. They, and that yeah. and yeah, I think that I think that stems from like the corporate culture of just keep your head down, keep your neck down. Don't don't try to do anything that you don't have the clearance to do. And I've definitely done that a few times. Like I just. I have an opportunity to try something new, but it's not in, like I say, oh, it's not in my job description. I, I therefore shouldn't do it. Uh, and I think, I think it's easy to just not do those things as, as an employee. But the key here is to have the right management and have the right principles and, and governance and also the culture that encourages you to take those steps. Like I know that Google has Fridays where they encourage their employees to try something new. So, and similarly on my team, we allot certain amounts of time to UI engineering, which we call it UI engineering work. So we can focus on kind of upgrading the stack, so to speak, to look at new technologies. How can we improve our developer experience as well as our customer's experience? Mm-hmm. So I think that all kind of relates to giving yourself an avenue to explore different paths. So branching out into different sec- sectors, seeing what your progression looks like in the company. I think that all kind of, that wraps up the first one. So. The second one, I think, really is controversial. Cool. Let's and, go there. And I think you're going to hate me for this. Yeah. So never apply first. Always ask questions first. Okay. So hear me out. I think that job applications are BS. I think that, first of all, the concept of like a job posting, like we've discussed before, it makes very little sense because it's all these, usually, at least in most cases, it's a bunch of like jargon words like, three to five years experience, da, 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 da. You have to have worked with this technology and this stack and all these tech stack requirements. And so instead of focusing on all those requirements and asking yourself whether you meet those requirements or not as, as a candidate, mm-hmm. focus on understanding the outlying questions because anybody, you know, a lot of people are going to have those qualifications that, that 
because it's a job posting, they'll have different applicants. Obviously, that's the nature of a job posting. But in order to differentiate yourself from other applicants, it behooves you to look at all of the other details that the other candidates won't ask questions about. And what I mean by that is don't, don't show that you meet these requirements because you have this and this. And like, I remember writing cover letters saying, oh, I've done this work and I've got this experience. Therefore, I meet this requirement. Like I thought of it as a one-to-one answer. Yes, I have mm-hmm. these requirements. Therefore, you should hire me. That's the exact wrong way of looking at it, at least from my perspective. Instead, focus on, on asking questions about how they work. A- ask them about the domain problems. Because when you just show that you meet those requirements, it comes off as you saying, I just want a job. I just want this to get some money. Because as an as a interviewer, I, I'm very hesitant. And I, I'm, I have a filter going on. I'm trying to filter out people. Remember, can't, uh, recruiters have to filter. That's their job. Their job is to filter out other people. Their job, even though you might want to say you could frame it as they want to help you and they want to give you a job. I mean, obviously they'll say that, but there are so many applicants for each, especially the the highly desirable jobs. I think it's a lot easier now because of the industry, but, but this was, remember, this is written back in 2015. So then I don't think we had the kind of opportunity we have now. Anyway, the, the last few reasons, asking questions before shows that you're qualifying the company. So it puts you in the driver's seat. It means that you can ask questions to the company and figure out if they are a good fit for you. You see the change of dynamic here? Okay, so instead of them asking you questions, you ask them questions. You become the interviewer as opposed to them. You have the higher power in the social interaction. That shows not only that you have a dominant nature, that you qualify your jobs, that you look for jobs that meet your criteria, and that you care deeply about where you work. That's the most important part. That shows that you're passionate, that you're not just another person looking for a job. So it's about finding a job that you like as opposed to one that you just get to, you know, pay the bills. Well, unless it's your first job. I don't, I don't, I don't see it. You see, I, I, maybe I'm just biased about that, but I think, I think it's possible to find a good first developer job and actually qualify. Well, I'll, 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 I'll say, I'll say that with a caveat, um, always be interviewing. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm getting at. Always be interviewing, always have the driver's seat. Now, I, I think that's a pretty easy to get sucked into a vortex with that one, because I think you could, it's, I, I call them, I call these people frame control addicts because they, they always want to have the frame and they always try to carry themselves as dominant. But the problem is these things called, I, I call them micro behaviors. And so this all goes into, into sociology and, and behavioral psychology. But, mm-hmm. but basically, if you, if you come into an interview with a mindset that you want to learn and better yourself, then you will succeed. But if you come into the interview with trying to control the people, controlling the, the result, you will not come off as confident. They will, you know, the interviewer will perceive, myself included, we will perceive that you might be hesitating a little bit. Like there's these micro behaviors that will, that will tip us off. Mm-hmm. And that will make the difference between us or you and another person who applies. So ask questions first. If you like the job, then apply after. But don't apply right away. Think about qualifying the job. Make sure that they're the right fit, especially right now. You have so many opportunities to to really peruse and find the right fit for you, especially if you can work from home, right? Mm-hmm. Take the time to really, and, and this also goes goes to show that the great resignation has its positives because this means that you as a developer have more opportunity to finally hone the kind of job that you want. 
that's that's the that's I think uh, a critical component of um, any career, honestly, not just being a developer. Is <laughs> how do I put this? Um, so when you are the best at what you do, or not even the best, if you are good at what you do, you have options. You can go, you can interview, you 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 can get another job someplace else. And if the the community toxic or the community culture that you're in at your business is toxic, you have options and you're gone. You know, the people who don't have options are the ones who end up stuck in a, in a toxic environment, who struggle to make it through the day. They're not very good at their job, and, and it just ends up in a negative feedback cycle where they don't feel like they can take a risk to get better at their job. They don't feel like they're getting any training from their company to get better at their job um, because they're not, right? Their company doesn't trust them either. The company keeps shuffling them down. They keep shitting on their head and expecting them to improve. You know, that reminds me of the saying, the beating shall continue until morale improves, right? Yeah, like the old uh, behaviorism concepts from from the early, uh, was it Milton Friedman in yeah. the 1800s? Yeah, yeah. Opera, operant conditioning. They, they still run on, you know, operating principles that were originally developed in the 70s and 80s. And yeah, they, yeah. they do a bunch of, you know, and that I just don't think that holds true anymore in any industry, in any career. Not in retail, not in fast food, not in software development those don't work they haven't worked uh they were poor they were they were focused entirely on the wrong part of of employee development so one of one of the things that when you're interviewing when you flip the switch like that and i'll I'll tell you that also applies when you're interviewing as well feel free to flip that switch make sure that you encourage your candidate to ask you questions because not all of them feel comfortable doing that they don't understand that that is the thing that they can do absolutely and one of the questions that I love to hear is some version of what are you prepared to do to set me up to succeed? That's what I want to hear from them. I want to know that that's what they're thinking of. I want to have a conversation about that with them. That's the point, I think, of the entire interview. Yes, I do want you to succeed. Yes, I want to hire somebody who is going to be able to come in here and succeed. You work with me. We work together. We will all succeed. Uh, I want to know what success looks like for you. I want to know what avenues you're going to come in i want you to ask me questions so that we can understand together what that is definitely software developers are are a notoriously quiet introverted bunch and it's hard to get them to come out of their shells yeah one of the tricks that i have found useful is to stop talking about the interview and instead to start talking about other things Uh, another type of developer is kind of the opposite side of that equation they can still be successful I haven't been able to figure out in an interview how to understand or elicit their requirements to borrow a phrase relative to the industry to be successful. I'm not, I'm not very good at interviewing them yet. I'm still struggling with that. More often than not, I tend to read confidence and especially the use of domain-specific language as an attempt to hide and otherwise bullshit their way through an interview. So I tend not to do well with those people, even though they have a good history and excellent recommendations. And I don't know what it is that sets them up to be successful. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so you're looking more for the, the soft skills aspect of like, how do these interviewees deal with, or how do they, how do they ask you questions? How do they come across in terms of their confidence? Um, well, confidence is, 
is sometimes I can take somebody who's not very confident in the given situation and I can get them talking about a different topic, like a, a, a favorite book or favorite movie or music or whatever, something else that they're passionate about and coax them to come out uh, by encouraging them a little bit to talk about it and then kind of moving the conversation back into the interview without them really noticing. And then they can continue talking about what it is that they do. Um, one of one of the one of the things that I really uh, enjoyed in one of the interviews that I was in was you know they they asked me to describe my favorite workstation. What does that look like? What kind of components? Oh, what is a great Mac? question! Is it Windows yeah. is, is it a Linux? Like talk about trying to get to the heart of what can they do to support me, right? Uh, and and that was a really important lesson. You know, we've had a, a number of people come in and 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 they're like. Uh, they prefer to work with Windows. And I'll, I will say, that's fine. You can work with Windows. I can't help you with that. I don't know how to help you with that. I don't know anything about Windows. I've been using Linux for the last 20 years. And the same goes for, for Mac people. You know, We will give, you know, when it's appropriate, for a really experienced uh, and developer uh, a budget to make sure that they get the equipment that they need. You know, $5,000 to buy a MacBook, for example, was, was one offer that was made. Because that's one of the ways that we can go about communicating around their effectiveness. One other really interesting question I've found is uh, I can just ask them what their favorite IDE is. And I can get an idea of you know what their workflow is and what kind of environment they like to work in. Uh, what operating system they like to work in. You know, like that one question can be really revealing about how somebody works. Yeah, and, and um, the key part is that they're asking you how you work. That's the question you're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. They need to reverse that too. Yeah. They're not asking like the candidate who's not passionate mm -hmm. won't ask those questions. They'll ask, when do I start my day? <laughs> when do I get to have lunch? Does, can I bring my dog? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> those are good questions. Those are good questions. I love office dogs. We don't have them where, uh, where I work. Here at the here at the home office we do, but yeah. <laughs> I was referring to Silicon Valley there. Yeah, yeah. But I mean like uh yeah, if there's an episode of Silicon Valley season four, I think it's season four, episode four. I, I love the show. But unfortunately they had to stop. Mm -hmm. But yeah, one of the interviewees comes in, Richard Hendricks, the CEO uh, of Pied Piper, as he asks uh the interviewee asks him, Do you allow dogs? I do you have a pool? My dog likes to spend time by the pool. <laughs> you know, like like do you have sunscreen? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like things that don't really seem to relate to the interview, but it's just like there for comedic effect. And I always use oh, that as gotcha, like gotcha. an exaggeration yeah. because here's the thing. How many times do you actually get those really strange questions from interviewees? I don't think you get that much. How many times has an interviewee actually made you say, wait, oh my God, I, that's a good question. Like, thanks for asking. Has that even happened much to you? You know, um, we, I think one of the, one of my favorite questions that does happen, but not often is uh, around the question of flexible hours. Oh yeah. That's a good one. You know, um, some people will come in and they'll ask what time of day do we start? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I see. As opposed to, you know, um, I generally, uh, function better, you know, between this block of time, I would prefer to start my day at, you know, 5.00 AM. Is that okay? Um, and then there's some who say, I would rather start my day at 9 a.m. Is that okay? Um, and and the, the, the concept of core office hours comes out, and we have, con con uh, you know, 
uh, you're a morning person, you're an evening person. Those are, those are really great productive um, conversations to have. That's a good one. Oh, oh, the weirdest one I've gotten was, oh, um, nice. can I get my first name only at, you know, <laughs> companyname.com, right? <laughs> that, was a, that was a Not killer. Not the last name. That was a killer. Someone yeah. didn't want their last name in there. Hey, yeah. I'm one of those people. Yeah. My last name is nearly impossible to pronounce. So yeah. I, I actually asked that too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> I think, yeah. I, yeah, I said like, well, they actually asked me, you know, they asked me, how do I want to be referred to? And I'm glad they asked because that's a very... Mm-hmm. That's a very PC thing to ask, and it's good that they do. Mm-hmm. But I said, you know, just call me Sean Gore because I can't, I can't have anyone mispronouncing my name. That gives me like a thousand names, right? Because mm-hmm. people say it like two different, five, ten different ways, thousand ways, and all of a sudden, I, I'm not. The name doesn't serve the same purpose. It gets <laughs> it. It's, some people have um, questions that are important to them as individuals. Uh, yeah, and that shows a lot. I think, yeah, the point is like that shows that they're willing to ask those questions mm-hmm. and they're not like uh, stifled. That's the important part. I think that, yeah, don't come off as stifled, right? That's the, uh, that's the whole, the whole point of this asking questions that come out of the ordinary. At, at the end of the day, our job is to solve problems. And I think the interview is an opportunity to bring up what those problems could potentially be yeah. and come up with solutions up front. Exactly. We, we were really interested in hiring a, a candidate that's going back a, a while now. We really, really wanted to get him to come on board. And we're like, okay, so like, what are the hurdles? What are the problems? Let's work towards a solution. Let's not focus on a no because there's these problems. What are the problems? Let's work it out. And uh, we weren't able to work it out because. As it turns out, we didn't own an airline, and we couldn't offer him discounted flights. <laughs> Whoa, what the? Really? Yeah. That's demanding. No, like he, he was actually asking for, like, first-class flights to... No, no, it was just one of, the, one of the perks that he was getting to go and work at Air Canada, right? Oh, oh, I <laughs> so see. They got staff discount on flights. It's like... Wow. Oh, you know, I, we, can, we really can't help with that one. That's, that's, a big, that's a big hurdle for us to get around. I'm still scratching my head to figure out how could we get around that? How can we get around that? How can we get what around that? What would you that? even say? Like, how, you really want this person to work for you, but you can't offer them an yeah. <laughs> airline discounts? Really? Yeah. Like, uh, well, well, one of these days I'll figure it out and I'll call them up and I'll say, okay, we figured this out. Does this work for you? Can you come work for us now? Because it'd be great. I'll figure that out one of these <laughs> days. Anyways. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think, but like, I think all this to say, like, like ask questions first. Don't. Like, don't just send a cover letter. Oh, like, try to. Yeah. Oh, uh, here's another one. Um, here's another one. Oh, you got another question. Yeah. There's a, there's a, you know, you're going to go in there and they're basically going to ask you a bunch of questions. Like it's a test, right? Yeah. And one of those testing strategies was, uh, you know, read the test thoroughly from, from the beginning to the end first, and then focus on the questions that you know how to answer in case you run out of time later. Oh yeah. Like the, the, the classic tests taking strategy that you learn about you know you go through and you read all the questions first to find the ones that you definitely know the answer to oh yeah in case the interview goes a little bit longer if you if you can talk to them about you know what kind of questions do you have you know like the interviewers and the the professional hr people they have their list of 10 questions and they're going to start at number one yeah right right well maybe you're great at answering 10 9 and 8 but you're not going to get there because you struggle on the first ones and then you don't really get a chance to shine but if you can just take a minute and say hey you know can we just review the questions that you have so that you know maybe i can uh use this test taking strategy that i learned when i was in university and uh, i want to really do very well and i want to you know that's that's 
that would be something that I would be interested in seeing in an interview. I would totally go for that. But that also, I mean, I'm a little bit on the fence about it myself. Because if they frame mm-hmm. it like that, as in, I want to just try something that I learned in university, that makes them come off as like really junior. But beside the connotation, I think it makes sense. Like to do what do like do the quick wins first. And we do this. We should do the same thing when we write programs. Do the quick wins first. Yeah. Yeah. Like when you write code, you do that too. Like I don't know if you've noticed, but when you write tests, you write all the easy tests to write first, and then you write all the complex ones later. I noticed I do that now. So in the same way, maybe I would frame it like, hmm. well, you know, usually when I write my tests, I write all the, I do all the quick wins first. So if it's all right with you, let's let's start with the easy ones first, and then we can move on to the more challenging ones. How does that sound? And it also encourages like a teamwork sort of aspect that's hmm. like, let's do this as opposed to, is it okay if, right? Like there's a little oh, bit of yeah, framing yeah. going oh, on there too. Yeah. But aside from the framing, yeah. there's, uh, it's, it's nice to see that. Yeah, like that question does add a little bit of character as, as like how you like to solve problems. It shows that you're willing to do it and do it everywhere, not just, not just in like the actual question itself, but outside of the question. It's, a, it's like applying a soft skill to the interview in a way. There's, there's a meta to the interview process on both sides. And if you can you know, shift your, your, your frame of reference from being the interviewee or the interviewer to you know, a third party in the room, and trying to understand the meta of what's happening inside the room and inside those multiple different relationships that are trying to be formed. Um, I, I think you start to get a better appreciation and understanding of um, what an interview is and what a good interview looks like and what a bad interview looks like on both sides of the equation. Yeah, and I think, I think it takes experience from both sides as an interviewer and as an interviewee mm-hmm. to get a sense of what that looks like. Yeah, it's, uh, if you're ever given an opportunity to sit in on an interview, uh, not necessarily to, 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 to participate, but just to sit in, take it. It's, a, it's amazing how much you can learn watching somebody else struggle to interview someone and watch somebody struggle to be interviewed. <laughs> That's exactly what I'll be doing in, in a week or so from mm-hmm. now. <laughs> it's prompted this whole podcast episode, and, and I just... I'm nervous for it because I'm worried that I might not be able to keep my mouth shut and, but I have to. And, and, you know, like my plan is to approach this as more of like just a casual conversation. If I ever get asked any questions, mm-hmm. because I'm there as a team worker first, I'm there to build on the team dynamic, not to make them fail. Right. And that's the part that I think I often forgot as an interviewee. Mm-hmm. I had this idea in mind that everybody's every interviewer is out to trap me somehow. But no, uh, everybody wants you, they want you to to succeed and I would lo- like I, Well, the good ones do anyways. Yeah. Well, that's a yeah. good sign, I think. I mean, you're there to filter them out too. Yeah, but like I I had a, so I actually had a list of I thought I took this really seriously and I we already had a wiki article for all of the interview questions we asked. I remember because I I did. I answered those questions. <laughs> But I also didn't really pick up on the nervousness of my now, co- my now colleagues and realize that that's not something to do on a regular basis, right? Like mm-hmm. me interviewing somebody is not something that will happen on a regular basis, even though I might enjoy that. I have a day job. I have <laughs> every second that I spend interviewing this person is, is time I could be, at least from a business standpoint, spending on solving the domain problems that the business solves. So, mm-hmm. so from that perspective, me sitting in on an interview is a pretty big deal. 
because I'm not, I'm no longer doing that other stuff. I'm, I'm helping to build the team, which I definitely enjoy. And I appreciate those opportunities. Like you said, great opportunity. And I feel a little bit worried. And like, what happens if I say something and now this interviewee doesn't, you know, want to work here, like work at the company? Cause you know, developers are difficult to find now, right? Like I'm worried about that a little bit that, that I never thought that I would feel <laughs> Because I always uh-huh. thought that those people on the other end had abundance of candidates. But I think now that the industry has changed so much, I'm sitting in the interviewer chair and I'm like, wow, wow. I never realized. But, but I, know, I, know what I, I know what questions I want to hear, but I also want them to succeed. And that's the challenge. That's the thing that I often forgot. That's a, that's a great perspective to have. Yeah. Anyway, uh, before we wrap this up here, I will go through them quickly if you're okay with that, that we can. Oh, yeah. This. Sure, There's sure. some pretty cool ones I've got. And, but like, yeah, I think uh, so sending a cover letter in, it's fine. Just have the context, right? That's the key. You, you send a cover letter. You want to be like, oh, yeah, well, you're the one who reached out to me for XX or whatever. These are the, this is how I'm going to solve your problems. And here's an example of a cover letter. Hi, Mike. Thanks for discussing company name with me over the phone. That, that's a positive. You could also throw them a compliment and say, you know, I really liked, I really liked, I really enjoyed looking at your GitHub profile. And then you send a link to the line and like, I love the way that you did this in this way. And it's really interesting and creative. And I did this thing in this project. Have a look. Here's, here's a link to my GitHub. Maybe that's, this is for more of a developer recruiter, Mm -hmm. but if they don't have that development experience, then just cut it short at thanks for discussing company name with me over the afternoon. Of course, keep it contextual. So if you've already, ideally, if you've already met with them before, like, so get to know them as a person, understand their core values, what they, what they like in the company, how they like to work and their way of building on the team dynamic, understand that and then approach it from that perspective. So, you know, I really like the way that you worked with teams and I, and I, and I can see us working really well together because of this, right? Picture them and you working together, give them a narrative of what it will look like to work with you. Do that in the cover letter. I know it sounds kind of outlandish because you, they haven't worked with you yet, but give them that narrative. That's, that's my opinion. So here's part of what I wrote earlier. I would change this now. It says, I'd love to chat more. Don't say that. Let's chat more about X or subject of interest. So don't mislead them. You've already said that you, you're going to apply, but, but let, like, see if you can qualify them a bit further. So maybe do that over a drink or something like that. Because my opinion, and, and I... I might be changing this in a bit, but I have this opinion that, that the application process doesn't really encourage the kinds of questions that we really want to see. The kinds of questions we want to see happen outside of the interview. They happen when you have a beer with somebody or whatever, drink or have a coffee. Those are the kinds of questions you want to have. The ones where you're both comfortable as an interviewer and as an interviewee. Now, maybe this has changed with remote work. So anyway, that's kind of what the cover letter should look like. And, and I say like, Part of the subject should should be working at this company because you're really talking about working at that company. I don't I don't think it's good to mislead or give the wrong context of what you want. So always come forward with as direct as you can with what you want out of the conversation. Because if you don't, then they'll be wondering, well, what's this person actually looking for? You know, do they have like ulterior motives? Are they trying to like understand trade secrets? Right? Like so so come off as genuine that way and show your Show your desires up front of what you want. So maybe it's just to get to know a bit more about the company. That's perfect. That's a great frame to have. You're qualifying, you're qualifying the interviewer as opposed to them qualifying you, right? So that's a good frame to have. So anyway, I say do not connect on Facebook and 
maybe find the social networks to try to understand the community and what that community looks like. So you could also reach out to other employees and ask them, hey, can I just grab a, let's grab a drink. I'm curious about your company. Those are really good things to do because if you get to know your coworkers before you even get the job, hey, you're already, you've already got one foot in the door. Yeah. And sometimes you, you, you get that opportunity to uh, get a better understanding of what it is that they're looking for between the lines of the, of the ad that you've maybe found online. Yeah. So I think having that ability to envision yourself working for them, that's, that's the first step. And if you can't do that, if you, have str- if you struggle to see yourself working at that company, maybe you don't quite have the experience you feel necessary to do that job. Well, okay, then maybe, maybe it makes sense to look at a different job. Or maybe you just need to, maybe it just makes sense to talk to the employer or one of the coworkers to see, or one of your would-be coworkers to see how you would work well with them, right? So your job, no, no pun intended, but <laughs> it makes a <laughs> lot of sense to, to get to know what your day-to-day job looks like before you even send in an application. Because really, what's going on here, right? You're trying to find if this job works for you. It's not necessarily that there is a job posting at all. Let, let's be honest here. It, with this sort of approach, you could work at any company you want. And that's the beauty of it. You don't need to think about, well, is there a job opening? There's always a job opening because if you can help a business perform a certain domain problem, then you've already gotten in, right? They will make that job for you. And I've, I've heard of these things happen before. So this is not a foreign concept. Oh, yeah. Conversely, I, I know businesses yeah. who will keep, you know, um, a position posted on their website constantly all the time just to encourage people to apply even if they're not actively recruiting exactly and and like i I know people who are very specific domain experts in certain problems and they might not have a job opening for those those experts like for example somebody Mm -hmm. i know has a lot of experience with specific branch of devops and at my company we have a branch called devsecops which stands for developer security operations which doesn't quite align with what this this expert has experience in. So instead of him reaching out in the classic cover letter, trying to, you know, qualify himself, right? He, he, he does a lot better. He would do a lot better to just reach out and try to understand how his skill set and his expertise would help the business or the company to do better. And that just doesn't mm-hmm. apply to my company. It applies to every, every company. He has a very specific skill set. So in every needs, industry. Right. And every industry has a different mm-hmm. application for that skill set. And every business also has a different application. So, so it doesn't make sense to just look at those job postings. And that, that's my problem with job postings because they encourage, like you said, that sort of very linear mindset of do this thing, repeat, and don't go out of your comfort zone. I think that this mindset, the one I'm proposing now, really adds a level of personality. And it also shows that you care about the kind of work that you do. It doesn't show, it doesn't show that you... You're just there to get a job, right? That's the whole point. I think it really shows that an effort to have that interaction over um, navigating the process. And I think, you know, the spirit of Agile would shine upon that approach. Definitely. And so, so I have a list of questions here. And these, you can ask these questions if they make sense to you. But, you know, like, always keep it contextual. So if you talk about certain problems, domain problems with, with the person you meet for coffee, then then you can, you can kind of base your questions off of those and kind of rephrase these. So here, here's some basic ones. How can you envision me helping me on a, how can you envision me helping you on a day-to-day basis? So that's really important because it shows that you're thinking about how can I make, how, how am I going to make your job easier, right? That's, and they did some research. That's the number one question that successful employees asked. 
roughly mm. correlates to 75% success in the job industry or just in, in their careers. So in advancement and career advancement. Yeah, so, great question. So asking that question and not just asking it once, asking it frequently. I, I use this in a context of, of like an interview or like a soft, I'll call this a soft interview because it's really an interview in disguise. You're just, you're interviewing the, the, the business owner or the colleagues to see if, if their culture matches what you want in the business, right? So, so in that case, you can ask, how do you envision me helping you on a day-to-day basis? That's number one. On a day-to-day basis, what kinds, of, what kinds of problems do you struggle with? So what do your domain problems look like? That, that also goes to the same uh, thing we mentioned earlier in your job description. So maybe you already have that context, but then, then you can build on that and say, you know, I heard that you guys solved this problem in the domain or you guys solved this problem. Um, can you give a, you know, I'd like to learn more about that. Let's, let's talk about this particular problem. And then you can start to get, get into details about how that problem gets solved in the business. Right. And then, and then you, you can go on from there. So the next question is, how is communication done amongst team members? This is especially important with remote work. So how do you guys communicate? Do you use Slack? Do you use uh, Telegram? I don't know. Like, mm-hmm. what do you use yep. to communicate as a team? Do you have stand-up IRC. meetings? Right? Like, who, what, what's your mechanism? So do you have meetings? If so, what kind of meetings? Do you have stand-up? Do you follow Scrum? Like, what methods of communication does the team use? Do you have Microsoft Teams, right? So... So getting into those details really helps to understand like what kind of level of communication. And not only that, as an interviewee, it allows you to, to gauge how effectively this business or businesses communicate. So understanding that the, the amount and frequency of communication also can give you some kind of indication of the success of the team. Because I think, and, and maybe this isn't direct correlation and causation, but usually in my experience, more communication can mean more success, but that's not necessarily the case. Try to understand and gauge from their answer there whether they would fit the way that you communicate. So that's part of this, this question as well. So anyway, here's some like targeting questions. Like I call these targeting interviews. So you're trying to shift the focus from them interviewing you to you interviewing them. And you might actually just intersperse these questions in, in between ba- a banter. So like you might just have quick uh, just conversations about small talk or just talk about your interests and passions and all the stuff that, that happens outside of work. And then you might briefly say, you know what, like, I know, I know I shouldn't dig too much into your job. Like I'm trying to respect this, but I'm really curious about, you know, your day-to-day job. You say you're talking to a colleague. Can you describe some challenges you, 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 you're currently, what are you, what are you guys currently working on? Like what's your, what's the biggest challenge you guys had had to deal with in the last year in terms of like, you know, the domain problem that you're solving. And then you listen to their problem. And then here's the key. This is the kicker. Okay. So when they tell you the problem, you, you really have to listen here. So really listen and try to, so if, if you're not good at listening, try mirroring, just mirroring their emotions. Like you can mirror the way that they behave and what they say and ask questions like mirror the last few words that they say and say, and wait for them to clarify on it. If they don't, then you know that they, they've kind of reached the end of the NDA if they have one. And then you can see like, oh, okay, that sounds really interesting. Tell me how how you solve that. And then if they say they don't have an answer, that's where you kick in and you say like, what about doing this? What if you used a CSS custom property to inline the styles as opposed to creating a style tag in line and then having to dynamically generate the style tag? You could just use custom properties and a dash dash syntax and, you know, update those uh, dynamically. And they're like, oh, 
oh, I get it, right? I get it. And that's, that's where they see you as valuable to the team, right? That's the key moment right there. You're looking for that. Hmm. <clears throat> nice framing of the reference. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you want to get to that level where you feel where they see you as building on your team. And then what happens later, at least ideally, they'll, come, they'll, they'll remember you because you came up with a solution. And they'll say, you know, actually, I didn't come up with a solution. This guy did. And then if you have the right mentality and you've already spoken to the boss, then they'll want to hire you. All it takes is, is a little bit of a, a jig in the right direction and you're, you've already got your foot in the door. So that's, that's part of that conversation. So, so can you describe the challenges you're facing? How do you envision me solving these problems on your team? So instead of asking how they envision you, give them, that, give them the experience and give them that solution right away. I, I, give them a little bit of meat, so to speak. Mm-hmm. How long have you been with company names? Uh, so I like under- asking them. Oh. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I like asking, um, the, you know, the day-to-day problems, you know, yeah. uh, you know, if you're going to hire me on, what are some of the first problems, uh, you're going to put me on, right? What are some and of the so, first get, uh, tasks that you're going to want me to solve? Yeah. I think in an interview, that's a great question to ask. And so, so I'm more talking about when you're speaking to somebody on a more informal capacity. And so I think, Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, absolutely. So in an interview, can you describe some change, some challenges? The current, yeah, so in an interview, definitely ask this question. Can you describe some challenges you're facing, like domain problems? How can you envision me solving these problems with me on your team? Be clear about that, how, how they can see you solving the problems. So the reason this is so important as a question, so it does a few things. First of all, it forces them to see you as a team member. So when you interview with somebody, there's kind of this divide, whether or not you want to see it like that or not. When, especially if you go in with the mindset that, that, that you're, you're separate from the company, you're not yet working for the company, the kinds of, if, if you see it that way, then the verbiage you'll use will usually involve just you as a separate entity. These sorts of questions force a change in perspective, not only on your end, but on the interviewer's end. It forces them to see you as a team member because they start talking about it as if it already happened, as if you've already been hired to the team. So... Uh, I'm not saying to do this if you like, so do this if you feel like you want to learn more about how you see yourself working, how they see you working in the company. This is more to qualify them. I want to be clear that this is not just a tactic. This is a way to qualify them to understand if you fit well on their team. So, and then this is another really interesting question. So in an interview, ask, how long have you been with the company? And, and you're also qualifying them. You're saying like, look, the person interviewing, how long have you been, how long have you been doing this? Like, What's the, what's your background with the company? Now you're interviewing them. So great, great question to ask. And that gets the conversation rolling. And if you're lucky, you'll start to get, you'll, they'll start to put in tidbits about their passion and what they like and what they, what they contribute to the company. And then you can work with that to try to figure out where you can help them. So if they haven't already answered the question, how can, how can I help you on your day? How I, how they can envision you helping them on a day-to-day basis. They, they might just throw in a tidbit of information about their passions or where they, how they deliver value in the company, and then you can go from there and kind of work with that. All right. So next we have the uh, uh, describe one of the toughest challenges you've had to overcome in your current position. That's a targeted, targeted interview question. You're just reversing it, and you're saying, look, what, what kind of problems do you solve? It's very similar to number one describe some challenges you're facing. So you could definitely combine them, but I do like 
coming up with this question because it forces them to think about the toughest challenge as opposed to just any challenge because they might just outline really simple things that just come off their head right away. So it doesn't on... necessarily give you an opportunity to come up with right. a clever uh, right. solution. Right. Gotcha. Right. So, so number four is great to come up. If you haven't already come up with that clever solution, then number four is kind of your, your second chance. And notice that I've separated them. I don't ask them one after the other, right? I don't ask, can you describe some challenges you're facing? Oh, can you describe the toughest challenges you, because that would just sound really weird. I want to split it up and kind of mix it up, mix and match a bit so that it comes off as kind of fluent in that way. So I have some other questions here, and these ones mostly relate to tech stacks and technology. And I think these really, these really matter in the context of, of startups and like culture. So I have one, how do you feel about open source? I have this here because it really tells you a lot about how they contribute to software development as a whole. And if they say they don't really do any open source, to me, that's a little bit of a red flag because it means that they, they might not nurture you as a developer, right? They don't see, they don't like, so they are not giving really back to the community, at least in my opinion. Now it depends on the company, it depends on the business, but I usually try to ask this question when I interview, how do you feel about open source? I think it's really important to know if you would ever have an opportunity to contribute. Another reason for this is that if you have an opportunity to contribute to an open source library, that shows up on your GitHub profile. And also a lot of businesses don't allow you to like have a portfolio or share the kinds of work that you do with those businesses. Usually you'd have like an NDA of some kind. And the problem with that is that employers, the next employers that you have, don't have a way of seeing the kinds of work that you do in a professional setting. Because you might have side projects, but you don't have a way of, they don't have a way of seeing the kinds of code, the kind of code that you write in your actual day job. So having an opportunity to contribute to open source is actually huge because then they can see in your GitHub profile, the kinds of code that you wrote for an actual job in the actual position, right? That's important. They also get an opportunity to review your interactions with the general public on the, uh, on the form. If you provide any kind of troubleshooting advice or tips or, or writing in that sense as well. And especially good if that's, you know, a larger, more popular package. Yeah, so like larger packages would have a lot more action on them. And it depends on the task that you have, whether you have the task of maintaining that open source library or whether you have the task of just maybe making a, for a fork a or a pull request on a given repository and then making some, some changes. Uh, I, I definitely think it's good to have that level of contribution to, to the community. I think that's really important to look for. And it also gives you a kind of a bargaining tool. If you like doing open source work, it gives you an opportunity to say, look, I like doing this. This is, I'm really passionate about giving to the community. How has that ever sounded bad in an interview? Really? <laughs> so um, anyway, so this is kind of going back to the, the, the point that you made earlier, Mike. It's about success. So currently, how do you evaluate your employee's success? What steps do you take? I actually have a story about this. So Okay. Yeah, no, I actually have a really interesting story. So I, I mentored a really, really bright student. And I remember hopping on, we, we did uh, assistance chats. We called them assistance requests because of the pandemic. We couldn't do in, in class. And he was from Vancouver. So not that I could have anyway, but, mm -hmm. but this particular student was really like, he, his code was really good. So I remember looking through his code. I was like, man, your code is really good. You could be an intermediate developer. Like I'm really excited. He asked me really, so it wasn't just his code though. He asked me questions at the end and he said like, 
he was asking me about my tech stack. He was asking me about what I think makes a lot of sense. And of course, as, as a very vocal developer myself at times, <laughs> I, I, I didn't hesitate to tell him what I thought and mentor him and nurture him in that way. But that on its own did give me a little bit of indication that this guy's actually passionate, right? Like that's the kind of passion that I look for in the interview. But I just found out uh, about a week ago that he got a job offer. So he had been looking, he'd really been like taking my advice seriously. The ones that I, the kind of points that I'd made earlier. And he finally found the kind of job that he wanted. And I remember actually, I recommended him on LinkedIn. So I got a, a message from the uh, the person hiring him and they just asked me for that verification that yeah this guy's really good at what he does and i was like yeah no he's he's his code's really good like i really enjoyed working with him he's he's got a lot of passion like that's the kind of thing I'm, i almost want him on my team like it's too bad because we're not hiring junior developers but like he could definitely pass as an intermediate developer so but yeah like one of the things he wrote messaged me which was interesting he said one of the things that i'm really unsure about is that they said they would only give me performance reviews once every three months. And he's like, you know, I'm going to advance really fast. And I, that's why I don't feel too good about this. I, I, the one thing I, I'm going to ask for is them, they, that they give me a performance review every month. And I was like, you know what? Way to go. That is the quest. That is like, you're bargaining. You're doing it professionally there. Like, like you, you should be asking for that. That's perfect. Every interviewer who says that, I'm going to be progressing even faster than that. Please give me a performance review every month. Every freaking job interviewer should be jumping and saying, that's amazing. In my opinion. I don't know what you think about that though. Well, um, I'm not a fan of process, so I, I wouldn't agree with that. I would, I would lean more on, uh, you know, the, the retrospectives on, on an even tighter cycle to, to figure out where they're at and what kind of, what kind of, what kind of problem is blocking their growth. Uh, what worked for them? What didn't work for them? What have they learned? Those, those are the, those are the more uh, important things. You know, sometimes growth isn't just uh, code related either. Sometimes growth is personal and it's, it's outside of business and it, and it's, and it's gross. And it's, it's kind of the place where, uh, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, if you're a manager, you don't go there. You know, you don't ask them about their personal life as well because honestly, becoming a good developer. It, it's more than just learning how to write lines of code. Yeah, well, but we were talking here about, you know, junior to intermediate level. Do you, do you think that still applies? Yeah, I, I think it still applies. I think one of the differences is your ability to manage your workflow, honestly. But I think, I think, yeah, but I think overall, like the concept of like, I'm going to be progressing even faster than that. That's not a bad mentality to have. I think that's a great mentality to have. It's okay. I think that says a lot like positive things about your ambition. In terms of where you see yourself, it shows that you have a plan in terms of the way you see yourself succeeding. I think I think you got a real good thoroughbred. You don't want to run them too much. <laughs> That's true too. Now that there's so much competition and that you could easily get a job somewhere else, so I did say to him, you know, like take your time with the contract, read through it all, make sure it all makes sense to you. But you know, like I think for juniors, like you said, it's it's good to get your foot in the door. So if you find something usually you're just writing a lot of code regardless so <laughs> as long as you're happy don't be too careful like the time to be careful is when you get really like three to four years i think that then you can start to but that that might have changed as well with the industry so i'm not sure if that's that's a little different now so anyway uh mm -hmm. yeah i think i think there's that's a really important question to ask next one of course these are just really general questions about 
the the di the way the process if there's any. So understand the process. So how large is the team? So who would I be working with? What do these what what kind of problems do these team members solve? What problems would I be solving if you have they haven't already answered that mm -hmm. question? And then and then lastly I have another one here. I have so do you have any other questions about my qualifications? I I don't know if I I particularly like that question anymore because really I I don't know. I'm on the fence about this one now, you know, 5 6 years later. So I think I think it, it's a good question to ask in certain situations if they haven't already discussed if you haven't already had a chance to discuss the kinds of experience you've had and the kinds of problems that you're that you've solved before. You could ask that question. But I think ideally the interviewer should ask you questions that allow that allow you to to touch on your experiences before and your qualifications moreover. So talking about your qualifications, I think in my opinion, it doesn't make as much sense as talking about your experiences. What do you think about that? That's fascinating. I think experiences are a lot more immediately relatable than uh, you know, a laundry list of uh, qualifications. Yeah. Mostly, I think that they're also more memorable because you shared the story that are attached to those qualifications, and that stories are always more memorable. So I think you're more likely to stick in the you know the front of the mind of a of an interviewer or human resources or whatever. Right. Yeah. That that would probably work. I mean, that's. Uh, that's pretty big company stuff, though. I think, generally speaking, if you're going into a a smaller organization or a startup, uh, if if you're talking about how you can help them solve that problem, uh, and especially if you're you know single digit employee number and you're 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 trying to uh, be excited about solving that problem, sharing your experiences about how you've solved that problem in the past is is definitely going to help help you stick out. More so than, you know, every other fully qualified candidate with, you know, 12 and 14 bullet points of their qualifications below that have absolutely no story and are not at all relatable in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 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 a, that's, kind of, I think the thing there is being relatable uh, and accessible. That, that's, I like how it accomplishes that. Right. Yeah. So I think, I think like, telling a story uh, or how, how you had a problem and, and how you solved it. I think this is where storytelling might come into play a bit. A soft skill, if you will. Understanding the problem that you solved, first of all, and not just glancing over it, that's so important. So I, I know a lot of storytellers who would just glance over the problem and not really draw out that problem. And it, that really does hurt the value of the story. Because part of the story is, like you said, you've, you've said to me a few times, that you want to draw the listener in into the question of asking, like, how do they solve this? So, you know, all the repercussions of doing these actions and what they would look like, and then talking about one solution and then looking at the other one and then making an assessment about which option makes the most sense. And maybe we're talking about using a technology or maybe we're just talking about using, a, say, in Java, a linked list or, I don't know, a, a hash table understanding the differences between each data structure and understanding which which one you used and for what reason can can be the difference between understanding whether they're you know intermediate or senior level versus junior level so that's that's whole the experience part and drawing them in with the problem is the biggest part i think a lot of developers will miss that they'll just glance over the problem and then they'll talk about the solution but no talk about the problem because understanding the problem is i is actually way more important than i think the solution understanding why the problem is even there and why you have that solution that will lead if you talk about the problem 
Well, I, I think you're also now drawing the conversation into the into the area that you know the interviewer probably understands better than the solution, anyways. Yeah, and making it relatable. So then they go, oh, yeah, I've had that problem, too. Oh, yeah, we just had this problem. And you're looking for that. You're looking for them to say, oh, yeah, we just had this problem the other day. We're solving this right now. And then you wait for them. You can wait for them to kind of elaborate on it. Maybe do a little bit of mirroring. Say, problem with this? Oh, okay, tell me more. Like, and then they tell you about the problem. And you say, well, what, hap- what if you did this? This is what I, I think would make a lot of sense. And then you can talk about the problem and share that in common build rapport through that i think i think the the moment that everybody's looking for in an interview is when uh when you're talking about that problem space and the interviewee um says well that's what i love to do yeah you, you I'm, I'm the perfect person to solve this problem for you <laughs> yeah i love I, that's those are the problems i like to solve these are the tools that i like to use to solve it yeah and, and that's something that i'm i haven't really experienced yet because i haven't really been interviewing that long but I can see how that would really feel good. Like, perfect. Well, okay. When do you start? That's <laughs> you know? great. Yeah, exactly. Okay. I have one, one more thing here. And this will, this will be the last one I, before we, we end this podcast here. So I say, better yet, just go there. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't apply anymore, of course, because most of the time we can't go to locations. But I think there's something hidden in here. Mm-hmm. So... I think a lot of developers are very shy and they don't feel that they have, they, they can just go and present themselves and say like, and, and do an office tour, but office tours are so good. Like, honestly, if there's one thing I could tell new developers is to do those office tours if you can. And it, especially if you'd be working from an office, if you don't work from an office, then do a, just do a quick interview or like, just call them quickly, have a quick conversation, maybe on like, uh, zoom or whatever and then get to know them a bit and understand that way but if if you can't uh, go there then talk to them online but if you can go there in person and really see the the office and the way that it works and the culture that's golden because you can really understand a lot about the business by seeing it in action now sometimes you might have to sign ndas or sign a bunch of forms but but oftentimes and this is my experience just go there say look uh I was chatting on the phone with this person. I just wanted to say hi and uh, and maybe get to know you guys and see your workplace a bit better. There's nothing wrong with that. And that will also separate you from all the other people who don't show up. Like, that's ballsy, but it's great. And that's the kind of candidate I think that I might even hire because I think that they're, that they've got the, uh, that they just, they take advantage and that they do stuff. They don't just wait for other things to happen to them. Like, to get the call back and say, we'd like to meet with you. I think there's a level of independence that shows, but that's just my opinion. Maybe that has changed a bit. I don't know what you think about that. I, I think, I think you're, you know, um, I think you're raising your flag and rallying the people around you who appreciate the same things and that that can build a good culture. And uh, I would probably look for something different on that point, but that's, that's okay. Uh, different yeah. is not wrong. Yeah. Uh, there's a t-shirt I need to have made. Different is not wrong. I like it. Um, yeah. It's just different. The different. So understanding what your interviewer is looking for or before the interview rather would help you to understand if that's the best course of action. I think now though, with all of the remote work, I think that becomes challenging. So maybe, maybe it just gets replaced with, Hey, can let's chat on zoom real quick. So now you're interviewing them. I would definitely leave that one until later on when you get a feeling as to whether or not things are gelling. Yeah. Because if they're not gelling, then setting up the... Yeah, there's no point. Fair enough. Yeah, I get that. 
So anyway, I've got the last part. And now if you followed all these steps, I'd say good on you. You've probably done pretty well in your interview process, if there was one at all, in which case, ideally, they don't even realize that, that they're interviewing you. <laughs> <laughs> so ideally, that's, that's kind of the case. But if, if you do get past all this and you don't have any results, that's fine. You know, that, that maybe that job isn't for you. But most of the time, I think I've had a lot of success with this. And I think it has helped me to get the right, the right kind of matches. And so what I say is once you get the offer, counter offer, always counter offer. Uh, yeah, yeah. So this might come as a shock, but research has shown that employees who asked for more than they were offered were thought of more highly by their respective employers. Now, it might come as a shock, but if you ask for more, of course, then it shows that you're, you value yourself as more than the offer. So businesses, usually businesses will, will throw in the, the, the smallest offer. So for the business reasons, maybe you can comment on this a bit more, Mike. Okay. There, there, there's sort of two approaches to that. You know, um, a lot of places now are, are, are focusing on, on making income uh, more transparent. So you know what everybody's making. Yeah, I've heard about that. And, and, and a part of that is, is them also trying to now categorize people into um, different salaries. And so if you are qualified to be in level one, you make X number and all level ones make X number. Yeah. And, you know, so when you push back and you, you try to push back and say, you know, well, I would, I would like 10% more than that. Um, I would like to become a level two right out of the gate. Uh, you know, you, there's a bureaucracy that now happens and there's a politics that is now happening. And you're not necessarily trying to sell yourself anymore. You're trying to negotiate a, a very um, political area, right? And, and they're not necessarily going to be in any kind of position to negotiate in those areas in much the same way that if you go and you try to buy a brand new car, uh, the price on the sticker is the price that you pay. There's none of that haggling with new car salesmen anymore. You go buy a used car, uh, a lot of the time there is some opportunity. The thing about um, the, the negotiating the number is um, uh, mostly you try and get that number as early as possible, you know? If, if they can't even get into the ballpark of what you're looking for, uh, like with a salary range, you know, we're looking for somebody, we're willing to pay somewhere between 50 and 150,000 a year. Well, that's a pretty big range, right? If they, they say flat out, here's our pay scale on this page, on this website, you know, go nuts. You really have to consider, you know, where you think you belong. Your negotiation can be around that, but it's not going to be anything else but around which category you're in. So the negotiation on, and asking that question is is okay i think reminding people that they can do that is the most important part of what you just said um, most people don't recognize that it is a negotiation most people don't recognize that they do have that opportunity you know i, I hate it when um you make somebody an offer yeah you know and and then they say no well you know Help me try to understand the decision that you're making here. Is it just around money? Um, are we going to quabble about $1,500 a year? Like, we can make that problem go away real fast. Uh, but if, you know, if we're here and we're having this conversation, let's focus on solving that. Let's focus on making something happen. We both want this to go through. We're both very motivated to make this happen. We want you to come and work here. Uh, what can we do to make it happen? Um, that's it's really easy to get an extra ten percent um, just by asking for it, and I think people miss that. Yeah, and exactly, and 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 you don't have to you don't have to make it a big deal. I think I I remember even myself when I did my negotiation for my salary. 
I felt uh, I I actually <laughs> so a little story here. I was in Arizona in uh, in the U.S. visiting my parents, and I was staying with them, and we had pretty finicky internet because yeah, I was just in this like trailer mm-hmm. park sort of thing. But I remember I I had two offers kind of competing, so I could either go to work for this company as a contractor run through my own business, or I could go work at the company where I now work at now, and and I remember thinking they could never possibly match the the amount of money that I would be making as an independent contractor. Lo and behold, I uh, I hear them ask me on the phone, "What what number would you be comfortable with?" And I was like, "You know what? I don't think they'll ever they'll ever like I was already ready to go with the other option." So I actually had abundance in this case, and that's probably why I was so ballsy. But you know, like I came out with that number and. I was just like, you know what? This is the number I want. And I said, sorry, we can't make that work. And I said, okay, well, I'm not willing to budge. Like, this is my number. Like, and meanwhile, my, my mom was sitting there beside me and she was like, what are you doing? Like, this is a huge <laughs> number. Like what in her mind, this is just so unfathomable that, you know, like that I could even ask for that kind of a number. But I was like, you know what? Like I'm worth this money. If I can make this in my own business, I'm going to ask for it. And I actually didn't think of it as a big deal. It wasn't even like, cause I had done so much negotiation from traveling and, uh, I also knew a bit about it as well from, from doing a few courses, but anyway, uh, so mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Uh, no, I'm, I, this is my number. But then they, they said, okay, well, how high would, what's the number? We'll go a bit higher. What do you want? And it's like, you know, what? I'll, I, I threw out another number. I was like, you know what? I'll go up to this number. And they actually, I was like, they'll never take that. But yeah, the next day I got the offer and it was re- that number. It's like, whoa, oh, wow. I was like, whoa, like. Like I never thought <laughs> that that would work, but it did, you know, it did because I, I was confident and I didn't think of it as a big deal. I think that people who come into these negotiations, they, they worry so much and they worry about the what ifs and, and never negotiate. Like I know, I know uh, Chris Voss, he talks about in his book, how to negotiate, like your depend life depends on it, but don't do that. <laughs> like that's the, <laughs> that's the point I'm trying to make. Don't do that. Um, in his book, he, he talks about these things called black swans and and basically the idea is that get to know your the person you're trying you're you're talking with understand the outlier in the conversation the one detail that you didn't understand before but moreover understand that it's not a big deal it's just normal this is just a normal pro- part of the process and that you can ask for you can ask for more than you're offered and that's okay and showing asking for more just shows that you value yourself that's that's the key part i think for me when when i when i learned that lesson I think the a lot of the time, if we can't get to that number, um, what we'll see is uh, my favorite question is, well, you know, um, what would it take to get there? Right? Yeah. What can we throw in? What can we do to sweeten the deal a bit? Right. What? Well, you know, from from an interviewee perspective, when somebody would would say, you know, how much do you want to make, and and I would give them a number that was, you know, twenty percent higher than what they're asking, and they come back and they're twenty percent lower. I know that this is going to be a a bit of a struggle, but it's not that it has nothing to do with you as an individual, as an interviewee. Right. Right. And it really doesn't actually have anything to do with that number. What the, what it has to do is with risk and, and they're trying to mitigate their risk by um, giving you a whole bunch of money and then having it not work out. And so what they'll sometimes do is they'll say, okay, well, we're going to give you this little bit of money during your three month trial trial period. We'll have an evaluation. And if everything works out, then uh, we will, we'll bump you up. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's three months, sometimes it's six months, time, sometimes it's a year. But at that point, then, okay, let's be very clear about what it is that I need to do and show 
in order to get that extra extra value and it needs to be in some kind of concrete terms and understanding up front just just so that that you're very clear on it and then you know you got to check in on a regular basis throughout that period and ask if you're on track and if not what can you do to correct yourself because nobody wants to get to the end of that uh, you know the business doesn't want to get to the end of that and say no i'm sorry you didn't make it you don't want to get to the end of that and say no i'm sorry um uh, what do you mean i didn't make it that's a complete shocker i thought i was doing great that's that's not fair but that's again that's one of those things about you know um regular cycles of feedback um being being sent through uh the the agile process that says you know you got to check in every now and then you got to check in and make sure you're on the right path uh have have those conversations have those hard conversations for crying out loud you know you trust these people you can have a hard conversation with them and there isn't a harder conversation to be had than money. Yeah. If, if if you don't believe that, try being married. And if you don't believe that, try having a business partner. Yep. It's it, it, Money is the single hardest conversation you can possibly have. And I think one of the reasons people don't want to negotiate when it comes to their salary is because it has to do with money. And money is everything around our behavior and our relationship to money uh, is behavior driven uh you know 100 percent. so when somebody says you know what number are you looking for you're going to hear a lot of things a lot of concepts run through your head right um you know never give out the first number that's something that you're going to hear a lot of um i don't know if that's good or bad advice to be honest with you i've, I've had it work out both ways in my favor and i've had it fail both ways you know um not sure how i feel about that one i think the the most critical thing is Understanding that the money isn't the, the the total sum value of your worth as an individual. Sometimes it's a great opportunity for 20% less. Uh, what kind of education, experience, and exposure are you going to get for that 20% less? That's that's an incredibly uh, valuable opportunity, but it's less. Yeah, and I think I think it all goes full circle back to this whole culture thing because if you don't like where you work, then it doesn't matter how much you get paid. If you don't like your work, yeah. it, it just kind of nulls everything else. Well, I, you know, I've had some debates on that point oh, really? over the years. I yeah. feel like, I feel like it also takes a lot of experience to know this. I think having different jobs, working in different fields, I, I think from my perspective, I just, I can't see myself working in a job I don't like, right? Like that's just a foreign concept to me that, that I've, I've done it before. I don't want to do that again. I know what I like. I know my strengths and I know what I bring in terms of the value to a business. So like, why would I ever think about working for a business where I, I'm not happy, where I'm not doing what I love most? Right. Like, well, different people have different motivations, right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's just for me. Yeah. I mean, there are people out there who, who don't care about the money and who don't care about the team or the project or the company. They just want the title. Yeah. That's that. Those are the materialist people that, that just want to see themselves progress. They could be career-oriented people too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. That that there for me just doesn't it doesn't really fit for me. But I I get that people. Yeah, that's just my opinion. No, that's fine. That's fine. You know, some some people are incredibly motivated by the project. Yeah, that's true you too. Know, they don't care how much they make. They don't care how shitty the job is. Yeah. But if the project is incredibly meaningful and will have some incredible social impact, they're in it, and uh, and they they want to they want to see that happen. Um. There's also the people out there who are who are who are motivated, um, what was it? By the team, they want to work with their friends. They want to work with really good people, um, and 
And they don't really care so much about the project or the money if they can have that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've heard that too. Good points. Yeah. But again, I think I think that all translates to like the passion stuff because maybe they get they're passionate about working with their friends and in the community part. So they're still enjoying mm-hmm. their job, right? Like I think it always ends up in either the the employees enjoy their job and they might take a pay cut for that or they do enjoy their job and they have the, the right pay and then they everything che- it checks all the boxes so to speak. But then, you know, I think I think everybody has their own qualifications and things they want in jobs aspects they look for and that's the whole whole point of this whole this whole process and it it all starts with the step number one understanding your career goals it Mm -hmm. all under it all starts with making sure that you have a clean idea of where you see yourself in the future where do you see yourself progressing and of course that's not it doesn't have to be very definitive especially working for different businesses You, you might find yourself a little bit malleable in terms of your business goals and how you see your, your career mm-hmm. progressing. But having a general idea will really, will really, really help, I think, for anybody looking for a job of where you see yourself in terms of your career. I think that that, that book by uh, Simon Sinek, Start With Why, um, is incredibly powerful in helping you find that and helping you... That whole concept of just be yourself as yeah. well, you know, I don't think you can understand what your career goal and aspirations are, you know, until you're over 40. Honestly, like, <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're out there and you're living your life and you're trying to figure out who you are, you don't really have a lot of, where am I going to be in five years? I don't know. You know? Yeah. I, there's, it, it's an incredibly challenging question to ask somebody who is under the age of 40, where do you to see yourself in five years? That's true. Uh, maybe, maybe not five years, but maybe in, in a year or two and then have mm-hmm. an idea of, of like, because here, here's the other kicker, right? The other person answering this the interviewee if they've done their research they should they should have an idea of where they where they would see themselves right Mm. Uh, ideally but maybe not maybe they need to maybe they just haven't talked quite yet with the interviewer and they don't quite understand the the aspects of their job but there's a job description right Mm -hmm. like like they should have a little bit of knowledge and doing the research beforehand also shows preparedness so I think oh, yeah. I think there's yeah. that level of of preparedness coming into the interview as well, having that concept of where where you see yourself with that company in the future. So when you ask where do you see me, how do you see me helping you? And that was let's go back. That was uh, question three, I believe. Those questions also give give the employer an opportunity to, to confirm your objectives. You're waiting for them to give you the answer that you thought of. Right? That's your the qualification process that you're undertaking with the interviewer. If if they go and they answer the same way that you expect, then you're good to go. Right? You've already you've already kind of they've already cleared that hoop, so to speak. But if they don't, then you've got something to discuss, and and then you problem solve <laughs> the skill we just discussed as well. Uh, so anyway, uh, I think I think we've we've gone on quite a bit about this, but uh-huh. but overall, like I think. I think there's a lot to be had now in this industry of web development. Like as a develop as a new new developers come on board, this is a great time. Working from home is is a great opportunity. And and whether or not we continue to do it, we'll find out. <laughs> and maybe some people will benefit more than others. I myself love remote work. Mm-hmm. I can't see myself working in an office, frankly, but maybe that will change as as restrictions ease as well. But as 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 we end this podcast, Mike, do you have one piece of advice that you would give to any new or aspiring developers or any developers that 
that that just started to you know start developing what, what what piece of advice would you give them as they begin their careers in uh, the web development industry um code reviews work both ways um don't just let a senior developer review your code you should be reviewing their code as well not because what you're not to like hammer down you screwed up over here you told me blah 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 no um but because you can look at the decisions that they make, you can look at the style that they write, you can look at the tools that they're using, you can look at the decisions that they're making, you can start looking for patterns, um, and you, you can start um, finding some common ground. And when you see something that's really interesting, because that's the point, uh, and you have that, oh, wow, is that ever cool? How does that work? then you can take your authentic curiosity to that lead developer and you can say genuinely, this is really freaking cool. How, I have no idea how it works. And nine times out of 10, that, that developer, um, they're, they're gonna be willing and happy to take the time to explain what that is and also feel flattered. And that's how you can build trust. But you got to do it authentically and you got to be curious and you got to review their code, not just let them review your code. Definitely. Like I can, I can say that <laughs> I've definitely experienced that, like where I've given a compliment and said like, you guys did really, we did a really good job here. That's super cool. And I've also been on the other side where I've written a piece of code or I've just, I was, I saw some code, a merge request, pull request. And then I commented on one of the lines and said, you, you can just shorten this to a computed alias, which now is depreciated, so to speak, in Ember. But it still reads really nicely. <laughs> so, like, it's like a one-liner, and it's, like, easy to understand what it does, like, even though it's framework-specific, right? Mm -hmm. So, and that's why I think, like, it has become depreciated, because it's not, like, generic, just JavaScript. It's just, like, an, a decorator. But um, anyway, I think, I think on both sides, you, you can give positive feedback and negative feedback. So. I'll say that as well. When I started code reviewing in my current position, I was I definitely had a case of imposter syndrome, and and because it's like it's my first senior job, and I I didn't know what was expected of me quite yet as I started. But I as I found out that I actually knew quite a bit about you know like all the ins and outs of the the framework and how like I, I basically overhauled our entire system of the framework to to a new system to a new version and that was like oh my god i actually did this <laughs> you know like i didn't really need any other help and i was like wow like i actually do know a lot about this and that was like the aha moment where i was like i can actually tell people not tell but like i can build on what they've done and suggest alternatives and we can work together as a team to come up with better better solutions not better but maybe more performance maybe uh like more readable that sort of thing but as i went forward i realized like it's not just that I, I can also compliment people, team members and say like, look, you've, this is awesome. Like keep up this great work. And that's, I think the, the two way street that you're talking about. Does that sound about right? Yeah. You, 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 positive feedback can, is, is good, but it needs to be measured. You don't want to be the guy who's always rah, rah, rah cheerleader. Um, yeah. Cause it just starts to get disingenuous after a while, yeah. but, um, Unless you're trying to kill them with kindness, that's another strategy too. <laughs> the the pacifist run. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, this has been enlightening. I I think uh, there's definitely a lot to to take apart mm -hmm. here. But Mike, I I really appreciate having you on uh, this podcast. Hopefully, I can get you on another time, and uh, we will definitely keep in touch yeah, and 
and get get into more of these details later on as as we progress in our in our journeys of interviewers because I I've just started mine and I'm excited to see what happens and what I learn moreover as an interviewer. I just I think there's so much to learn as an interviewer mm-hmm. and so many personal soft skills to learn of how to interact with people and keep them engaged in a in a comfortable way. Well, I keep I keep I keep looking for the uh, I knew him when story. That's what I get to say. <laughs> <laughs> this concludes the sixth episode of Web Perspectives. I hope you enjoyed. In the next episode, we'll talk about self care and how to manage your expectations starting out your new career as a web developer. I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening and see you next time.